0: So anyway, that's what she said. Welcome to episode 78 of Musically Challenged. Your heaping helping of music, trivia, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about this week. I'm your host, Chad Knight, and with me as always is Lou Schwalbach. Hello. Now, when it comes to music, artists like to talk about things or title their songs about something that can be precious. Sometimes it's about a girl, or a guy, that they hold dear, while other times it's a possession they're lovingly singing about. Finally, some artists will talk about or title, with precious materials. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The songs on today's show will be featuring some form of precious stone in the title. The song doesn't have to talk about the stone, just have it in the title. Don't worry, we're not going to go into cut, clarity, color, or carrots, or any of that nonsense. Which is good, because I have no idea.
1: No, they pretty much, when we went shopping for that kind of thing, they pretty much told me what I wanted.
0: Okay, so... There will be no genre restrictions, so this will be open season for anything that we could come up with. So load up your rock tumbler and polish your stones while we get the show started.
1: Welcome to Musically Challenge, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. This show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou.
0: That sounded a lot worse than I intended it to, but you know what? Can't take it back now. Alright. So how are you, man? Pretty good. How about yourself? Uh you know, I can't complain. It's uh countdown has started for vacation now.
1: Okay. It's a bit muggy out today.
0: It well I yeah, I, I went grocery shopping this morning, so but I hadn't it wasn't too bad then, but it's getting worse.
1: We, yeah, it's getting worse. And then with all the out of towners that are here, it's just it's well, it's trouble. it's it's what uh,
0: chalk fest this weekend, rib, rib fest this rib weekend, rib balloon
1: chalk fest, and there's like four other festivals that are going on. Right yeah, now.
0: it's it, there's a lot of stuff going on in Owasa Right. Which is really weird. We went to dinner last night when I got home from Kansas City because nobody wanted to cook, you know. And Molly was working at uh, where she works, and. Uh, we get there and we figure it'll be dead, Ribfest, Bloomfest,
1: you know, all this stuff. No, because everybody's in town, they want to eat out.
0: Yeah, it, it wasn't horrible. I mean, we got seated right away, but we were like the last open seat in the restaurant. Nice. So it was, it was kind of interesting, but uh, other than that, you know, it's been, been a whirlwind this week. I've just been crazy busy, man. So hopefully, hopefully your words will make sense. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. So should we go ahead and uh, just get liquored up? Sure. All right. Now normally this would be my session to bring a beer, mm-hmm. but because I was out of town, you brought it this week. So right. why don't you tell us what you brought?
1: All right, I brought an amber ale by Milwaukee, from Milwaukee Brewery. brewery. Now oh, we've done Milwaukee Brewery before, but right? a different flavor, right, right? Yeah. And this one's called Louis Demise. I'll be honest; the title is what grabbed me. Yeah, I would have figured. And. I mean, because amber ale doesn't mean anything to me. We'll give it a try and see what it is. I mean, really, there's... 12 fluid ounces. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say a percentage, but I'm guessing in that 5 to 7%. Something like that, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we could go on the mkebrewing.com and find out, but I really don't care that much. Exactly. Let's do it. That's... You know, earlier before the show, you said that it smelled kind of basic. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what it is. There's nothing really too special about it. Yeah, no, um... It's... it's there's definitely a back end.
0: There's a back end, a little hoppy back end, but it's not a horrible one. No. Um, there's definitely malt in it. It's got a nice balance between malt and hop, but there's not a whole lot of anything to it.
1: No, I just hope that it doesn't keep building on the back.
0: Yeah, which is something that, you know, we deal with from time to time. So it, it's like anything else. All right. So with that, um, I suppose we should uh, go rate. ahead and rate it. Yep. All right. I'm going to go with the bar. That's where I was going to. Not it's, because it's bad, but it's not good either.
1: No, there's nothing special about it. Yeah, that's, I mean,
0: that's I can thing. get the same thing out of Budweiser.
1: Right, and probably for less money.
0: Most likely. So, all right, why don't we go ahead and do one of my final trivia questions. It's this. It's three more, today and two more. Right, all right. So. No, two more, today and the next week, and
1: then after that, it's episode yeah, 80. Yeah, 80 is all you. Yep. What 1985 cartoon featured a backing band called the Holograms, a rival band named the Misfits, and centered around Jerrica Benton and her alter ego Superstar's adventures?
0: Okay, um, I think I know the answer to this, but we'll wait till the end, as always.
1: All right. Do you want me to reread or no?
0: Um, we always do. So.
1: All right. So. What 1985 cartoon featured a backing band called The Holograms, a rival band named The Misfits, and centered around Jerrica Benton and her alter ego Superstars Adventures? Okay. So, that is your question, which I'm pretty confident that you would know. But, you know, know, it's hard to tell because there's certain things that pop culture, you're on it, like Blue Bonnet, as it were, and there's (laughs) other times that you're just... I, where, I, where were you when that? I, happened? I missed that one. Yeah, the boat left and you were on the dock still. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, and that's—I mean, it's that's that way for everything. I'm sure there's stuff that, if we thought about it and really went into it, that I was into that you would have no clue
1: about. Oh, absolutely. But and yeah, I'm is, sure we're going to come across some of that stuff too. Yeah, as
0: we start doing the uh, the other ones, but right. All right, so why don't you go ahead and uh, kick this one off?
1: All right, so I'm going to go ahead and start off with "Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend" by. Well, sung by Nicole Kidman, it was in Moulin Rouge, mm-hmm. the Baz Luhrmann movie. It was originally written by Jules Stein and Leo Robin, and it was first sung in the Broadway production of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes by Carol Channing. But it got its main legs... By Carol Channing! Yeah. It got its main legs in life when Marilyn Monroe sung it in the 1953 version of the Broadway musical done to film. It's been covered by a ton of different artists, including Eartha Kitt in 1962 and Kylie, Kylie Minogue in 2007. Wait, wait, Eartha Kitt did this? hmm I got to look that up. All right. I love Eartha Kitt. Now, this version is from the 2001 film Moulin Rouge. Um, Kidman is a courtesan that, at the aforementioned cabaret and sings the song, or, well, really most of it, actually. The actual track is called Sparkling Diamonds, as it does change some of the lyrics and includes a bit of Madonna's Material Girl in it. Her character's job was key. It was all about who could earn the most green and gifts from the guys they encountered, and it made perfect sense for the song to be included. I personally think uh, Kidman did a stellar job with it. Both her and McGregor have really good voices for singing. Is she actually singing? She is actually singing, as is Ewan McGregor in the other parts of it, which is impressive because a lot of times, like Back to the Future, I know we talked about that, where Marty McFly wasn't actually singing, but they got a guy who sounded like he could have been. Right. So... As I mentioned, I think she did a good job, but let's see what you guys think of it. So, let's take a listen. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. A kiss may grand, but it won't pay the rental on your humble flats. You know, and that's that's pretty much all I really had to say about that. That is my, that's my diamond song.
0: All right, so I, I said, you know, Nicole Kidman can sing, if she is truly singing, which you have now told me she was. The problem I have with this is it's from a musical when you could have easily have used the Marilyn Monroe or the Madonna's version, and they were better, in my opinion. I mean, honestly, if... I don't know. I just, I just think that there are better versions of it than this one. But, you know, if you don't want my opinion, you're listening
1: to the wrong show. You know, and I'm not gonna lie, I have a bit of a soft spot for Nicole Kidman, anyways. So I might. I kind of have a hard spot for Nicole Kidman. I <laughs> well, yeah. wasn't gonna go there, but yeah, but so that could have been swaying my decision a little bit. So.
0: Well, I mean, fair enough. I mean, it's not a bad song. I always kind of revert back to the whole Marilyn Monroe version of it, and now, but now, who knows? I found out Eartha Kitt has a version, so. There may be a new frontrunner for me.
1: All right. (laughs) So what's your first song?
0: All right. So I'm going to start off with Diamonds and Pearls by Prince and the New Power Generation. It's a title track to Prince and the New Power Generation's 1991 hit album. The song is an upbeat ballad given a rock edge with guitar and heavy drumming. The song also features the vocals of MPG, so New Power Generation member, Rosie Gaines. She has a stellar voice. She really does. The ballad is an expression of love and not lust, as it is a theme on some of the other things from the album. The song was a top ten hit, reaching number three in the U.S. and a top spot in the R&B chart. The repeated lyrics, I gave you diamonds and pearls, would you be a happy boy or a girl? Echoes the lyrics, I'll buy you diamonds and pearls only if you're a good girl, from Prince's 1982 song, International Lover. Which I'm not familiar with, believe it or not. And with, with the week I've had, I have not listened to it either. But I will. I think it's it'll be interesting. Okay. So rapper Lil Wayne sampled the song on his mixtape Da Drought with the term Diamonds and Girls. Now this one, always, this one made me laugh. Polish jazz pianist Marcin wallace Luski and his trio included an instrumental version of the song on their 2008 ECM album January. Good for them. Let's put the needle down on this one. Would you be a happy boy, oh,
1: and girl? If I could, I would give you the word. All I can do is just offer you my
0: love. So there's not a lot to say about this song. It's one of those songs by Prince that I really absolutely love. It's a love song saying... Would you love me even if I didn't give you diamonds and pearls? He asks the question, if I gave you diamonds and pearls. Then says, all I can do is just offer you my love. So the guitars and the drums pick up somewhere in the middle of the song, and it really does give it an edge that's, you know, rock and roll. All of this is great, but his voice is what really gets me going in this song. He has such great voice and such great range, and he uses it so well in so many different songs, and this is one of those songs. What are your thoughts?
1: You know, and it's funny because you mentioned that this is a uh, a rock song and everything else, and this I consider to be like a mellow groove, because, I mean, I've heard a lot of Prince stuff, and this is just, it seemed to be a bit of a slower one for him.
0: Well, but um, they they definitely do pick up with the guitars and drums in it.
1: Right, and I honestly, I mean, I'm the opposite end of the spectrum. I can't really say I'm a fan of this song. It's too slow. okay. I like Prince's other stuff. I mean, there's a few of the songs like Seven for whatever reason. I, I don't know why, but that song is just great. I love that song. Yeah, it's not a bad song. And Maybe it's the little, little finger-ching things or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. But this one, when he slows this stuff down, I get bored. Okay. And that's this song kind of bored me. So that is, I'm not saying anything against the guy. I'm just saying this song doesn't do it for me. Okay, fair enough. So why don't you take us into your second song? We're going to go with Emerald by Thin Lizzy. And this is one that I didn't even know was out there until I started looking for gems. And it's a song... I
0: agree. <laughs> I had not heard this one.
1: I'm glad I did, though. I yeah. enjoyed it. Now, Emerald was a B-side to The Boys Are Back in Town, which everybody knows that song. Right. It also made it as a track on 1976's Jailbreak. Thin Lizzy is a band that formed in Dublin in 69, and former band leader, lyric writer, lyricist? lyricist? Yeah. Okay, and singer Phil Lynott was intrigued and/or obsessed with Irish history. Why not? Lynott.
0: Oh, Lynott! I thought you said Why Not, and I'm like, that's a hell <laughs> why, of a why last Why Not.
1: <laughs> that's a hell of a last name. And he was obsessed with like the history, including like the bloody battles and the Emerald Isles. So this song was said to be an ode to said battles, speaking of men with their shields and swords to fight the fight they believed to be right and overthrow the overlords. J- that's a song of might makes right. Basically, yes. But then again, wasn't that what? Ireland was all about. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jailbreak, the album, in all, is a good album, and the song was eclipsed by the title song, Jailbreak, and the boys are back in town. Because honestly, if you ask anybody what else is on that album, they're not going to know. Right. Now, I personally think it's a shame to be considered a B side or a deep cut because I think the song is decent. Um, I like the call and answer dual guitars and that Thin Lizzy's become known for. Mm-hmm. It's just an enjoyable song, and let's take a listen and see what you think.
0: All right, so the guitars pulled me right in on this one. Now, I'm not the biggest Thin Lizzy fan, but a song about shields and swords with a lot of guitar, and good guitar makes Chad a happy boy. I mean, there's no there's no lying about it. I, I love guitars. You know, they are trying to capture or steal an emerald that without it they could not leave. So it's a it's a pillaging song. It's a might make right song. That kind of thing, but maybe the emerald is some form of transportation like a like a boat. Could be. Could be a woman even. That could be. I mean, they don't really say for sure. Draw your own conclusions. Yeah, exactly. Now, I don't have a whole lot to say about this song. I never heard it before you know getting a list from you of what you were going to do but it's a decent song i like it right and
1: i and as i mentioned before you would never know it unless you look at the album and be like oh look at that right
0: yeah yeah this is not something that's going to be played
1: on an an oldie station no unless you're doing like like when cooper does deep cuts yeah he might he might
0: play something like he may
1: but just on your run-of-the-mill classic rock station it won't be played right absolutely So,
0: all right. So up next, I'm going to change pace a little bit here and we're going to go with uh, Black Diamond. It's a song by American hard rock band Kiss written by rhythm guitarist Paul Stanley. Black Diamond was written almost exactly as it is, he said, except that the riff wasn't there. Gene brought that part in. It's all about arrangement and embellishment. That's what you're supposed to do in a band. Come in and add something. But that doesn't mean you wrote the song. It almost sounds like he's a little bitter on the end of that. like it's
1: kind of like kind of a backhanded comment.
0: Right. And everybody knows that, that Gene Simmons is kind of like everything Kiss is him. So if that might be a little backhanded Gene. It
1: could be, who knows, but... Well, you know, I mean, when basically you are the face of the band and a face for radio, to be sure. Right. I can see where the other three members might get a little bitter.
0: Yeah. So the song is on the closing, is the closing track on the band's uh, first album, Kiss, Released in 1974. It begins with an acoustic opening sung by Stanley before a furious riff enters. Accompanied by Peter Criss on lead vocals, it fades out with Ace Frehley's solo in a sort of studio trick. The song is also characterized by its noticeable use of chorus and its ending. The tape studio version was slowed down almost to a standstill. The live version is usually sped up in tempo. Combined with stage pyrotechnics and a rising drum platform. That would be so fucking awesome to
1: see. They did pyrotechnics at KISS concerts?
0: Yeah. And, no way. and the, did you know that the, the, the drum set went up and down?
1: I, I'm I did not. I mean I've
0: seen it, I've seen the footage of yes, it. Yes,
1: yes, I did. I know, I know you did.
0: <laughs> but I've seen the footage of it. But I think to see that live would just be amazing.
1: You know, and any time that they have stages or anything moving around, it's pretty amazing. Siberian Orchestra. The whole stage was a transformer. Oh, nice. I mean, the whole damn thing changed. It didn't turn into a robot or anything, but, I mean, with the pulleys and everything, they did that, and they made it snow indoors. Nice. And then, when I when ACDC, they had a scissor jack that Angus went out and actually rose way up in the air, like maybe about 30 feet up in the airplane during a song, came back down, then walked right back to the rest of the band. Nice.
0: The band would often play Black Diamond to close their concerts. Even after Chris left the band, the song was still performed, featuring his replacements, Eric Carr and Eric Singer on lead vocals during their respective tenures with the band. Let's get on this black diamond. So a song about life in the streets and feeling run down. Like the man has his thumb on you always. It's an everyman song. We all feel that way sometimes. Hell, I know I do. So Black Diamond is one of those thinking songs. It doesn't just say life sucks and buck up. It says life is hard and you need to to not feel like you're under somebody's thumb. And the fact that it's kiss in the beginning, showing us what they could do at that time,
1: makes it even better. It's a great song. Your thoughts? You know, there's really not a whole lot to say about it. It's a standard KISS song, and if I'm being completely honest, it sounds like a lot of their stuff. It's They're not to the level of, like, Hootie and the Blowfish, where, like, every song sounds like a different version of itself, but you can definitely tell either by the either by the guitars, by the style, or just by the vocals that it is a KISS song. It's not a bad song. Not one of my favorites by theirs, uh, but it's, it's decent. I mean, you can definitely tell that they know how to use their instruments. Right.
0: No, absolutely. So... Um,
1: it's funny, I was going to mention that I had heard some, I don't know if it was bootleg or whatever, but apparently KISS and Van Halen got together back before Van Halen really hit it. Okay. And Eddie Van Halen, before using his own stuff, was actually using Gene Simmons and the, the guy's materials. Imagine Van Halen's songs played on the style of guitar of KISS interesting it sounds weird and it really was i'm like who am i listening to is it kiss covering van halen or is it van halen playing with kiss
0: well yeah you know there are bands very established bands have a sound to them mm-hmm. you know the guitar hits and you can go oh that's kiss oh that's you know pink floyd that's right yeah whatever because you they, they have a style even if they play a different melody a different tone they have a acdc angus young is so got his own style mm-hmm. yep. you know you know it, it, you hear to guitar, and you're like, oh, we're listening to ACDC. Well, I
1: mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan's another one. I mean, yep. honestly, you hear an SRV song, and it's just like, oh, there it is. Yeah. You know who exactly. you're listening to. Exactly. All right, man, so what do you got up for your third song? All right, number three for me is going to be Pearl by Katy Perry. Uh, a little drool-worthy. Katy Perry is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I like her with her longer hair, though. When she cut it kind of real short and pixie style, didn't care for it. I'm not sure I've seen her with the pixie haircut, but uh, remember what Penny did on um, Big mm-hmm. Bang Theory. Yeah, Katy Perry with that haircut, and blonde. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I it, don't know. I'm sorry, but she needs to be dark-haired and have that long little like bob that she had, with curling at the bottom. Delightful. Okay, moving on. Pearl. And was, now you know. Yeah, exactly. Pearl was a single off of 2010's Teenage Dream that was co-written by Katy Perry, Greg Wells, the Canadian musician, songwriter, producer, who also has worked with Adele. 21 Pilots, Weezer, Aerosmith, Elton John, and many others, as well as Christopher Tricky Stewart. Okay. Yeah, why Why he's tricky, who knows. And he's worked with J-Lo and Michael Jackson, Beyonce, and others also. Katy Perry's song is about a girl who used to be bright and fun and lighthearted, and then someone came along and turned her into somebody totally different. Sounds like an abusive or smothering relationship to me, but who knows? Maybe you got to be there to actually know. The song goes back and forth from she to I, which makes it sound like it was personal. You know, like, hey, I'm asking a question for a friend. Right. You know, the song is a bit of a sad tale, but due to Perry's singing style, it almost makes it sound like there's some hope and things will turn around to the way that they were. Maybe I'm reading into it, but I'm trying to be positive on this one. Let's be positive and listen to Pearl. Oh, she. negative or old positive whatever
0: all right all right i I had never heard this song until i started doing this episode i mean it uses lots of imagery from what i call the old world you know old europe or whatever and it's basically a song about a woman who was once strong but who has been bullied or unceremoniously subdued by a man i'm not a fan of the song it's basically man bashing and i'm not overly cool with that i I have a big problem with that actually doesn't actually say it's a man though I believe it does early in the song. Okay, like he did this yeah. to you or whatever. Okay. It's just one of those things. If this same song was sung by a man and the blame went the other way, there'd be hell to pay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, that, that's it. I'm, I'm going to shut up now. That's all I have to say about this song. All
1: but. right, so let's go with your next song then. All
0: right, my next song is called Diamond Ring by Bon Jovi. Now, there's not a lot written about this song. It's a pretty straightforward love song. I know it because it was in my wedding over 20 years ago. <laughs> It's not an overly well known Bon Jovi song, which came off of its 1995's These Days album. It could almost feel like a throwaway love song to some people. Musically, it's not anything amazing. Lyrically, it's sentimental to me. So let's see what all of you think about it. No. by bon john bon jovi and desmond child who has worked with well pretty much everyone in that genre of music <laughs> i mean if you if you pick up an album from a 90s 90s rock band and you don't see desmond child on it it's odd <laughs> as a songwriter like i said he is everywhere anyway as i alluded to earlier i love this song and it has a very strong emotional ties for me uh this was sung by friends of mine during my wedding And it was very fitting and got a lot of compliments from people at the wedding. But what I would like to know, if I may, is what are your thoughts on the song, Lou?
1: Well, uh, my thoughts, I first gave you thoughts when we talked about this during episode 44. Correct. And I remember saying that it is a love song, but it's boring. It may have meaning to you, but I didn't really find said meaning. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that my opinion has not changed. It may have been a panty dropper back in the day. But it's a snooze fest for me.
0: I don't. I don't know if it was really a panty dropper. I think it was just because it meant so much to the two of us, and and still does to this day. I mean, it's it's like our song.
1: You know, and every couple usually has at least one or two of their songs. Right. And if this is one of yours, hey, good good for you. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just not my.
0: my no, style. and I get that. I totally get that. And I think I alluded to that when I was writing about it because it's it's nothing amazing
1: as as far as if you just break it down as a song. If they sped it up just a little bit, I understand it might lose a little bit of the feeling, mm-hmm. but if they even added just a, maybe a half again a little faster on this one, I think it'd be more successful. Quite possibly. But in any respect. All right, so let's move on. All right, <laughs> so this is going to get the award for the most jacked-up song, and that is Sapphire Bullets of Pure Love by They Might Be Giants.
0: Hey, look at that. It says, the most jacked-up song I've seen. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me, though, because this song, yeah... So Sapphire Bullets of Pure Love is a song off of 1990s Flood and is one of the shorter tracks in the album, which is, really isn't saying much considering that the longest track on the whole album is only three and a half minutes long. Yeah, but this was, what, under a minute, wasn't it? Or just over a minute? Something like that, right. And the shortest track on their album is 28 seconds. Yeah. That's, That's I think, not a I song. No, it's not. It's an advertisement. Yeah. So and, and I just, it really, anyhow, the song is like a computer theme from an 80s movie, and the lyrics are pretty rudimentary, and they don't mean anything. Like, really, I have no fucking clue what they were trying to accomplish here. The song isn't awful, it's just confusing. I mean, there's no, no other way for it. It's almost as if they were playing with a synth and random words, and someone without them knowing turned on the recording. Like, hey, we're gonna record you guys fucking around. Possibly. They might ju- they might be giants can do good music I promise Istanbul and Particle Man are actually very good songs they're also on this album and there's also the Bossomy song from Malcolm in the Middle which is an entertaining song by the band yeah I just think this effort was not their best or it's amazing and my taste is terrible uh, you guys can be the judge and let's take a quick listen to a short snippet of a tiny ass song. <laughs>
0: Yeah, how many seconds do you actually get of a snippet on this one? Oh, my
1: God. I mean, the fair use, which we talked about before, is 30 seconds or 10% of the song, whichever is less. Right. So, five-minute song, you get full 30 seconds. Anything less than that, you have to figure it out. So, I mean, if you have a... You get, what, like seven seconds for this song or something? Something like that, yeah. God. It's it's ridiculous, you know? I mean, there are certain songs, like one... I think um, one of them that you did in the past was like a 90-second song. So, I got like... Nothing out of it. It's like nine seconds out of it. It's like we can't do anything with nine seconds. Right, right. So this style is definitely one you would come to expect from They Might Be
0: Giants. I've never really been a big fan of They Might Be Giants. Like most bands, I can find a song or two that I enjoy. But for the most part, this really short song is weird to say the least. I don't understand what they're trying to get across. Though the use of a xylophone is pretty badass, I have to admit.
1: You know, there's certain instruments that you don't expect to be played that just are epic when they're played by it. A... And that's
0: one of them. It's like, I'm listening to it, I'm like, is that a xylophone?
1: Or like the marimba or the flute, for example. Right, like right. the tall. You know, I mean, jazz flute. What the hell? But this is epic. What the
0: fuck is jazz flute? Exactly. No, but it, it's like, um, what is it, the song by Toto where they do uh, Africa? Oh, yeah. Where they're using the, the, like, the rain sticks and shit. Mm-hmm. It's like, what the hell? But yeah, it's kind of neat. So, moving on, up next, I'm going to actually do a Beatles song, but it's not going to be at the end of the 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 episode. So, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds is a song credited to Lennon McCartney that appears on the Beatles' 1967 album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Now, John Lennon started production of the song, and then Paul McCartney contributed to it in a songwriting session. Lennon's son Julian inspired the song with a nursery school drawing he called Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Shortly after the song's release, speculation arose that the first letter of each of the title's nouns intentionally spelled LSD. Lennon consistently denied this, insisting the song's fantastical imagery was inspired by Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland books, a claim repeatedly confirmed by Paul McCartney. Okay, so I have to agree, if that's where they took the imagery from, that is a fucked up book. That whole series is is messed up in the imagery. It's like
1: the Oz books, too.
0: Right. So, despite persistent rumors, the song was never officially banned by the BBC and aired contemporaneously on BBC Radio at least once on the 20th of May, 1967. As the Cheshire Cat may say, let's see what you hear. Okay, the imagery and the music in this song could make someone think about think it's about LSD, easily. However, after all these years and denials by both Lennon and McCartney, I would tend to agree with them. The almost circus-like music is very much appreciated by myself. It's no secret that I like the Beatles, but this is one of those songs that even go beyond what the Beatles are. That, to the side, have you noticed that all of my songs have
1: Diamond in the title? I was going to mention that at the end. I'm looking at your list going, we really didn't deviate much, did you?
0: No, and I didn't even realize it until I was like, on this song, when I was writing up this song, I'm like, diamonds, diamonds. So you did the five diamonds. C's of
1: clarity, didn't you? And I the, did. Yeah, that's you, it. You did the five C's. That That's it.
0: That that totally, you know, next time, I'm, I'm sure we'll do a second musical gem somewhere down the line. I'm going to have to try harder to find a different gem.
1: And I'm going to give you shit if you don't
0: i would i would hope you would <laughs> actually i was surprised because you you had brought up like oh you've already done black diamond i'm like well, that's okay and then i'm like you never once said dude every title has diamond in it
1: and i'm gonna be honest the reason i didn't is because i know how much of a time crunch you're on with work and, I, and i'm like you know what fuck it i'm not gonna worry about this i'll bust his balls about something else
0: see that that's what i figured it was you're like oh it's all diamonds. i'm gonna bust his ass at the end of this thing
1: no you just you have one in the can for that how about that all
0: right so what what are your thoughts on this song
1: okay so the song may or may not be about drugs but there is one thing that nobody can argue with it's a gem of a psychedelia song done by the fab four i agree pun intended i enjoy listening to the song when it finally kicks in the opening is a little bit whimsy that it's just whatever i can only imagine that listening to this song when you're tripping balls would be an experience it would have to be and, you know, I think my job is not going to allow me to do that because that the one day I do this, I would get randomly drug tested. That, <laughs> that would be my luck.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's, that's the way these things go. It's called Murphy's Law.
1: Or it's called somebody calling it in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, hey, I think so, I saw Lou in balls. Yeah.
1: So, you know how on certain, uh, like, dice games or card games or whatever, like, if you, like, bullshit. If right. You, if you call the person and they are caught lying, mm-hmm. they get the penalty, but if you call them but they were telling the truth, then the person who called them gets a the penalty. That should happen when somebody calls them on drug testing.
0: If if that if life worked that way, there'd be a lot less people just trying to get people in trouble.
1: Yeah, well yeah, exactly. So I'm gonna move on to my last one. Okay. The last one I have is Topaz by the B-52s. Now Topaz is a full oh wow, it's it's a full band written song. That's what I tried to say. It's a full band written single so the all four members did it. Off of 1989's Cosmic Thing, which you may recognize that album because it's the one that had Love Shack on it. Yeah. I don't have a lot to say about this. I mean, I didn't find much about the song. It's just its a funky song that really just is kind of about random stuff, or so it sounds to me. The ladies harmonize really well and like their other material. And between that and the music, it just makes a very entertaining song. If It was put out on an album that got a ton of radio plays. So it didn't really have the staying power of the other mega hits like Rome or Love Shack. But it's a really nice way to slow things down and just groove. I have a feeling that this song would be actually a really good driving song. Just kind of Yeah, I could put see it, that. Just get a nice open stretch of road and just have a chill drive. I could see that. Yeah. So, let's go ahead and put on some Topaz. Not to be confused with A Topic.
0: All right, so the brass that hits when the song begins is really cool. I'm a big I'm a big junkie for brass as well as guitars. So the harmonies, so you
1: like big brass ones? Is that what you're saying? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> so the harmonies are really good. I'm not really sure what the song is about, though. I did see one person say it was about MDMA or ecstasy. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not sure how long ecstasy's been around, but I can buy it, I guess. I'm I'm sure ecstasy was around in the eighties. Oh yeah, I would I would assume so. I, you know, not much more to say about it other than it's a nice fun song. I mean, and like you said, I think it would make a great driving song. Okay. So so why don't
1: you wrap us up with another diamond song?
0: I I'm gonna do that. <laughs> so the last song I have is "Shine On You Crazy Diamonds" by Pink Floyd. So, it's a nine-part Pink Floyd composition written by David Gilmore, Roger Waters, and Rick Wright.
1: You didn't hear that incorrectly. Nine parts.
0: Though, I'm hoping the song, the part of it that you took it out of was the first four, because that's what everybody's used to on the radio. Sure. Okay, we'll, we'll find we'll out. We'll find out. The song was conceived and written as a tribute and remembrance to their former band member, Sid Barrett. The title of the song itself can be also seen as a reference to Barrett. Shine on, you crazy diamond. And so, S... Y.D. Sid Mm -hmm. The work was first performed on their 1974 French tour and recorded for their 1975 concept album Wish You Were Here. It was intended to be a sidelong composition like Adam, Heart, Mother, or um, Echoes, but was ultimately split into two sections and used to bookend the album, with new material composed that was more relevant to the album and to the situation in which the band found themselves. Let's see where this takes
1: us. Remember when
0: so the psychedelia that pink floyd was known for in the intro almost identifies it as pink floyd even if you don't know what you're listening to now sid didn't die until 2007 but after being ousted from pink floyd for mental instability and drug use the guy still made this song for him. This is a 13 minute and 30 second song, and the first 8 minutes and 43 seconds is
1: just music. Which means I was able to get 30 seconds out of it easy.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, easy. So the song is about a guy who changed and maybe didn't have the control he should have. It's kind of a love song to the artist they lost due to drugs and mental issues. Great song, and we have only talked about part one. So,
1: Lou, what are your thoughts on this one? Do I know this song? No, I certainly do not. As Chad said, it is a tribute to Sid Barrett, and that's actually pretty admirable, especially being so they kicked him out of the band. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't kicked out because he was a dick. He was kicked out because of his drug use and because Just of the
0: mental instability. his mental instability. Yeah. And,
1: you know, and instead of leaving people in a band who are losing their mind, it's kind of admirable also on the band members' part that they gave him an out right? instead of basically making him the dumpster fire train wreck. Right. Which I'm sure it would have ended up being right right and considering that Pink Floyd is still technically around to this day it wouldn't have worked
0: well Roger waters is still around using the Pink Floyd name
1: well right um, no and, and
0: you know on top of that on top of his own drug use and, and mental instabilities could you imagine all the shit that Pink Floyd through, went through in the early 80s and stuff when they broke up and then all went to hell could you imagine having that poor guy in the middle of that
1: Oh yeah I mean you would have would, destroyed him right. Now, it's got great great instrumental work to be sure, but it's just not really my cup of tea. Supposedly it's a really huge live staple to be played. Like it's 13 minutes on here, but then live it's like 20 minutes longer.
0: Oh my god, it'd be like Albuquerque at the Weird Al concert. Right.
1: You know, and this is one of those that I would probably take this song as a moment to use the restroom while I rated for one of my other favorite songs to come on.
0: Because no, I, I really do wouldn't
1: that. miss much, especially if there's like 10 minutes of just instrumentals, cuz anybody can noodle on a guitar forever. Right. I, mean, I I've seen Van Halen and eruption is amazing don't get me wrong but eruption being an 11 minute guitar solo got a little long in the tooth per se Mm -hmm. so hey there was my squeaky chair so don't blame that one on chad that was me
0: (laughs) all right man Uh, you know it's um we're looking at a slightly shorter episode here which is fine but we still have to get through
1: trivia we do and I have a feeling that you're gonna get this one because you are an eighties kid as I was. Yep. So the question once again, and we'll just read it a little slower to eat up some more time. Slow it down. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, what does a yellow what does a yellow light mean? Slow down. What does a yellow light mean? <laughs> oh god, Taxi was such a good show. Anyways, I digress. What 1985 cartoon featured a backing band called The Holograms, a rival band named The Misfits, and centered around Jerrica Benton and her alter ego Superstars adventures? Okay, now I'm going
0: to answer this. But I got almost like it's too easy. And like if I answer this, it's going to be like, no, that was the cartoon they did after that. But I'm going to go with Gem and the Holograms.
1: Gem was the cartoon. Okay. And going with the theme of the episode, I could figure no better question right. actually yeah, for it was Yeah, it, so it was
0: very topical.
1: Right. So what does that put me at? Oh, uh, let's... Oh, crap. Let's find out. Of course, I've got your stats on a different page. Of course you do. But that's okay. Because you'll get it figured out. Right.
0: And in the meantime, I'm just going to talk about random bullshit. Because I can.
1: Well, okay, as of episode 77, which was last time, yep, you were 26 and 25, so this puts you at 27, 25.
0: Ooh, that means no matter what I do on the next episode, I have a chance... No, I will go into my hiatus over 500. You'll
1: go into the all-star break over 500. Over 500. Yeah, yeah. Okay, listen up, everybody. Turn up your volumes. Announcement.
0: If you like this episode or any of our other episodes, uh, you can reach out to us in a couple different ways. First, you can send us an email at eclecticmediaproject at gmail.com. Or you can also send us an email at musicchallengepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you're more into the social media thing, you can find us on Facebook at POI Network or at Musically Challenged Podcast. And of course, there's our third and final
1: way. And that is Twitter. If you want to go ahead and get in touch with us via Twitter, we do post our episodes on there. Uh, if you want to send us a playlist, 10 songs, 10 artists, have a theme, great. If not, send us some love, send us some hate. We are at MC Podcast 17. Give us a, give us a holler if you see the bone fingers doing the devil horns. You know, that you found us. Okay, I gotta say one more thing about this beer. Okay, pumpkin. I taste pumpkin. I can kind of taste the spice. Yeah. I mean, not, I don't taste the actual pumpkin, but like the actual pumpkin spice, I can I can buy that. Okay. But that could be because it's just the amber. Possibly. All right. Thank you
0: guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.